Okay, ready to go one more time? Uh, it's been a good weekend. My favorite moment was when Garrett Prechtel said that uh, essential oils were all over his whole body as he was preaching. He's staying at my house. I want you to know that's true. My whole house smells like oils. And uh, so that was my favorite moment. My least favorite moment was when Dan Perkins said that his three youth pastors were not cool. Just want you to know his second youth pastor was extremely cool. Um, and so, uh, just kidding. But uh, we did some uncool things in those days. Like, as a youth pastor, I had us pray through Song of Solomon every Wednesday night through the summer, which was great. I don't recommend it. Uh, back then, I was just flirting with praying the scriptures. And I had 15-year-old boys praying some awkward things. And, uh, and some girls praying some awkward things. And everybody, <laughs> these girls in the middle of summer, I am dark but lovely. And anyway, I will... Climb the tree, I will take hold of its fruit. It was awkward. So, um, but anyway, so uh, I'm so grateful for you guys, and it's been so good to be here. I do want to say, just speaking of cool, um, last year, uh, this is not mine. This, this sweater's not mine. Last year, I went to lunch with a few of you guys uh, a few times, and, and somebody left this sweater in my van. And so I've been wearing it for a year. Uh, but if by any chance this is yours, I wore it this morning to give it back. Um, I'm secretly hoping that whoever was here was actually not here again this year um, for my own wardrobe's sake. But anyway, if this is yours, I want to give it back. Um, yeah. It kind of takes... Anyway. So uh, let's, let's open the, the Word of God if you've got it. Philippians chapter 3. And I want to really just thank Dan and Amy for all your labor, all that you've done. So great. And I want to really thank Bucky and Aubrey for all that you've done. And, uh, let's, and I know Dan's going to come up in a little bit and thank everybody, but um, I just really want to thank the team for all that you've done to make this great. Thank John and Pastor Brady, and uh, let's just give them a big hand for all that they've done. Of course, we know that DLA is the secret, uh, but we're going to bring them up in a little bit, and I'll let Dan do that, but I just want to thank you guys, and I want to really just unashamedly uh, tell you we look forward to seeing you at Desperation Conference this summer if you're able to make it. On your table, uh, I've got this for you, uh, and this is just a book that uh, you heard from David Slyker yesterday, David and I, uh, and some other guys who have been in youth ministry a long time. We decided to get together and really write a book about building your youth ministry from the place of prayer. And so uh, we put this together. Uh, there's a, a lot of guys that are older than David and I that have done this a lot longer. David and I were kind of the young practitioners, which kind of feels good, because here we feel like the old practitioners, but uh, when we were meeting with those guys, we were the young guys, but... Um, Anyway, I just wanted to give this to you. I recommend chapters 1, 6, and 9. Those were written by me. And uh, No, I'm just kidding. I recommend David's chapters as well, Slikers. Uh, but this is, a <laughs> but this is uh, just available for you. We just printed it out, uh, gave it to you for free. Uh, take that if you desire it, if you want it. But it's, just a, it's, a practic- it's got a lot of practical things in it on how to build your youth ministry on prayer. Some of the things that Justin Chandler talked about yesterday... Uh, are actually in this book. And so our hope is that that'll be a blessing and of help to you. Let's pray together and we'll go. Father, we love you. And Jesus, we desire you to be first place in our youth ministries and in our lives and in our marriages. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity to have like-hearted comrades 
who, those separated in different parts of the country, Lord, are championing the same ideas, are gathering young people together to worship, to pray, to seek you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the growing prayer movement that's happening all over the world. And we thank you that a piece of that is youth ministries right here in the United States. And we ask that that would continue to grow. We pray that you would continue to set our hearts ablaze so that we could be the prayer leaders that you've called us to be. We honor you and we love you. And everybody said amen. Amen. About five years ago, uh, we concluded the Saturday morning session of Prayer Summit. And there was a guy named Julius. He was a youth pastor from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, from Bethany World Prayer Center. And he was here and he sat at my table for the duration of the event. We connected while he was here. And as he walked out of those doors right back there, he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, I made your mark at the prayer. I made my mark at the prayer summit. I said, what do you mean? I said, I made my mark. I said, okay, smiling, like, I don't know. And he said, I left my tears on the carpet of your prayer center. And he said, I'm so grateful, not just for the environment, but that the, the Holy Spirit touched me in such a way that I know that I left something, a deposit for my students back in Louisiana from crying out for them in the place of prayer. Where I want to go this morning is my prayer is that you would leave a mark, that you would make a mark, and that undoubtedly we desire that you would have moments while you're here where you say, Jesus is Lord of all, and God, I want to give you everything, and I want to spend time with you, and I want to abide in the vine, and I want to know you, and I want to, I want to walk with God, and I want to be the example, and I want to spend time with God. And in addition to that, our prayer is that every youth group across this country, but those that are represented here today specifically, would have a praying youth pastor that cries out for his students and for the students of a city. So whether you're a man or a woman, I want to invite you today to be somebody that sees the need and possesses a burden and recognizes that God wants to do supernatural things through you and it starts in the place of crying out in the place of prayer. My prayer is that when we walk out of this room this morning, that we would be like Julius and that we would have had tears fill up this carpet. And I don't necessarily want to over-dignify physical expression of anguish. I'm not trying to necessarily dignify tears to a, a level that's unnecessary. But I do believe that it's an expression of the emotion that's going on on the inside. It's a physical demonstration of an inward reality where there, you can't help but erupt because it's real. We see tears all the time. We see tears maybe when we're tears of joy, when we're happy. We'll see tears when there's a sadness, there's a breakup, there's some pain. We'll see physical tears sometimes when we go through physical pain and all those kinds of things. Maybe sometimes when you're in a conversation with someone and they become angry, then there's tears because there's emotions welling up. Tears are a part of our lives. And what's going on is these tears are a physical expression of real emotion going on in the inside. And when Julius said that to me, what he was saying was that God so erupted inside of me that I actually began to feel some of what God feels for my students and the students of Baton Rouge. My prayer is that we would walk away from the things that mostly move us being the things of the planet and let the things of God stir in us today. It's not something that we can work ourselves up into a frenzy on. 
Certainly, it's possible to just kind of try to be emotional. And I'm not necessarily trying to just stir up a frenzy and just try to have us be emotional. But I am saying that there are times where the Holy Spirit is so strong and the things of God are so in us and we see that they are not currently happening in our context and there's such a dissatisfaction that that's the case that we begin to weep. That there are actual tears. I'm not talking about praying hide. I'm not talking about famous prayer guys throughout history. I'm not talking about guys who lead big prayer ministries today. I'm not talking about the intercessor ladies that are in the basement wearing leotards in your church. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you being the person that actually sees. I'm talking to the cool people. I'm talking to you guys that your 20s and 30s and 40s. You're working diligently to be relevant to culture, but I'm talking about you not only being relevant on the outside, but having an internal heart that says things are not right. And when I pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I mean it. That that is inside of you. I want the kingdom to come. I want what Jesus wants for this young man's life, for this young woman's life, for this group of 25 kids that gather together on Wednesday night, for the students of the high school, and that you possess a burden that actually makes you awkward in your context. Because other people will look at you and not understand it. They'll think, why? What's with you? Why do you care so much? And yeah, I believe that's the apostolic burden that Paul possessed. And I believe we see it in our Messiah, in Jesus. It is this burden that says it is not okay. Things are not all right as is. My prayer for you today is that we would weep between porch and altar. That we would be people that say, God, I so desire your ways that I'm not okay with how things are. Most of the time, we're satisfied with where our ministries are. We're okay with where they're at. And yet, we don't find that in the work of Paul. The truth be told, we see anguish in Jesus up to the very end. Up to the garden. And I think we have a culture that says, relax, chill out, have recreation, be okay, enjoy. And we want to create a hybrid kind of pull that into our Christianity. But I want to ask you to look at Paul. I want to ask you to look at the disciples. I want to ask you to look at Jesus and then create a way where you can justify life as usual, perpetual recreation, perpetual media, all is well, and just a little bit of differentiation from the world based upon, I don't know, maybe a couple behavioral choices. Whereas what we see in Jesus, what we see in Paul is a burden. It's this ache. Things are not all right. Philippians chapter 3 verse 18, Paul says it this way. For I have often told you before and now, tell you again, even with tears. Many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul, what brings you to tears? Paul, what's the thing that you're telling the church in Philippi? 
that causes anguish. I'll tell you, he says, many, not some, many live as enemies of the cross. Whoa, that's a strong language. An enemy of the cross. What are you referring to? I'll tell you. Their destiny is destruction. Heaven and hell are realities. And Paul's got that inside of him. I've got this one chance to burn out, to burn out fully, to give everything for God. And I believe in eternal disaster for people that don't know Christ. That is what Paul believed. And I've got this one shot, this one chance. I'll tell you what brings me to tears. So many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. That would be for us in our context today. That would be their God is themselves. First century, around the Mediterranean, Middle Eastern, it'd be like, yes, survival. It's, it's the, their stomach. They would typically be able to survive a day by getting food. You and I, ours looks different. We're not scared about the food that we eat every day. You even come here and you get free. It's different. But at the core, it's about me and my temporal needs. That's what Paul's talking about. And Paul is in tears because the state of the people. God is their stomach. Glory in their shame. Yeah. Proud of the fact that I live for me, proud of the fact that that it's all about me, which replicates our culture today. And their mindset, their mind is set, fixed on earthly things. Paul goes, ah, I'm in tears. I'm in anguish. Why? Because many live as enemies. And what does it mean to be an enemy? An enemy? It means eyes on me. Live for me. That is the essence of the culture that we have. That is the essence of the culture of teens and 20-somethings and truly 30-somethings and 40-somethings in America. And you've got Paul saying, I'm in tears. We have lots of things that bring us tears. We'll have tears when, we're, when we fail. We'll have tears when we're successful. We'll have tears when we're angry. We'll have tears to the right music. Potentially have tears to a really good movie. Maybe tears to sports. Maybe tears even to someone that we love. And all I'm saying is that when we look at Paul, there's tears for the lost and unsaved. There's tears for those that live as enemies of the cross. And I'm just asking the Lord to do in us something that is countercultural, but was present in the apostolic church of the first century. God, give me tears for the lost and unsaved. God, I want tears like Julius had. Just a regular youth pastor guy, but God did something. God does something weeps, cries out. We would say, come on, Paul, the lost, you're going to have tears for that? Why? Because it's foreign to how we live. It's not realistic. Even here, even if it happens today, even if we begin to weep, then it happens at an event. The measure is not that it happens here. The measure is that we live with it for weeks and months and years. It's on the inside. 
Paul says it this way in Galatians 4. He says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Today, 21st century America, sanitized hospitals, medication. This is still the most painful thing we can think of. But it's a lot worse in the first century. And I'm not going to claim to be an expert or have a clue. I'm just going to skip right over that. I think most women in Galatia that heard that were like, ah, Paul, you're clueless. But Paul's trying to get the most anguish he can think of, the illustration that he can most think of pain. And he's saying, it's like a woman in childbirth. I mean, it's like the screaming, the sweating, the yelling, the cussing. I don't know what, but it's, it's anguish. Ah, it's that. And he's trying to use that language. And he says this to them, until Christ is formed in you. He's saying, that's, that's in me. I, I care about not only the loss, but I care about Christ being formed in you. He says it this way in 2 Corinthians 2.4. He says, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, and again, it's part of his language, with tears, stress, not to grieve you, but to let you know what? The depth of my love for the growing church in Corinth. That I have great love for you. Love is arising, and an evidence that love is real, I can't help but have this physical expression I write to you, even in tears. How do we get that kind of love? I mean, how do we love like that? How does that become even close to our context where we're trying to love broken teenagers? Is it it just like, okay, it's a biblical idea from first century. I live in 21st century. So let's just kind of adapt and recognize it doesn't exist anymore. Or instead, do you think maybe we've changed and that potentially the desire in our hearts should be to go back to this kind of New Testament vitality that cares desperately. Saying, I love you to the point of tears. There are people that you love to the point of tears. You know them. You've got people that when you think about their destruction, whether it be eternal destruction or some kind of physical destruction, you ache on the inside. Because you love them. It's not a dream. It's not impossible. No, you have family members. You have close friends. That this would be true of you. That you would say, I have tears for that person. I love that person. I'm just saying, let's stretch out the concentric circle to be where Paul is here. Where he's saying, only for me, it's not just because I have friendship with them. But I see how God sees them. And because I see how God sees them, I care more than just my own friendships. How do you get that kind of love? Paul says in Philippians 1, I long for you with the affections of Christ. Okay, that's the word right there. Affections. I long with you with affections. I long for you with love. There's love inside of me. I long, I desire affections of Christ the way that Christ actually loves. And then verse nine explains it. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound. How did Paul start to love like Christ? On his face. 
in your, on your face in prayer, God downloads his heart to you. And you suddenly are transformed from just loving what you would normally love to loving what God loves. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It's supernatural. But you become the hands and the feet, the expression of Christ on the planet. And all of a sudden, you've got an internal, just aliveness inside of you. You care much. There is, this is the word I want to use today. There's this burden, this ache. And you go, I love them. Other people say, I don't get it. Why do you love these broken teenagers so much? And you see it. I mean, we were hearing even some of the talks yesterday about the lost, reaching the lost. Brandon was talking and you felt it. Did you feel it? I could feel Brandon loving the lost. I could feel it. I could feel it when he was talking. You could feel it's there. And you went, oh, I need some of that. How did Brandon get it? On his face. Crying out to God. God, let me care about what you care about. Our temptation is to care about only what our senior pastor cares about. Our temptation is to care only about what the people around us care about. What the organization cares about. Our temptation is to only care about the things that come easy with our gifting, plus our environment, plus our skill set. And go, no, that's what I care about. But I believe the biblical pattern is to get on our face before God. And the most, the oldest, I mean, people in their 60s will suddenly care about teenagers. It it defies logic. But you begin to get God's heart. A number of years ago, we were working on the heartwork projects, and we had this older guy in our church here at New Life uh, come and speak to DSM, and and he had been he got up, and, and we were we were just trying to raise funds and have young people get excited about helping orphans and doing care projects, Africa. He gets up, and you know I'm youth pastor, and I got my program. And, I got everything set out in planning center and I don't know we do it back then maybe she had a piece of paper back then and I've, I've, I've scheduled in three minutes he gets up and he just starts crying and both of us are standing on the stage and I'm like okay good man and he's just and I'm like all right good okay go ahead and share now you know it's good he's just bawling he's just and he's trying to talk it's like, I don't know, it's like probably late 50s, white hair. And I'm just like, and, I'm, and I'm, I find myself bugged. Like, get with the program, old guy. This is not your moment to stand on stage and cry. This is your moment to share the plan. Until I began to realize, as he shared, he finally pulled himself together and says, I have been praying for the orphans that we're going to raise money to reach for 25 years. And this is the answer to my prayers. And all of a sudden, it made sense why a punk youth pastor in his 30s had no tears and a man in his 50s couldn't stop weeping. Why? I hadn't prayed a moment for those kids and he had cried out for 25 years. We had a girl that was in our internship here and we were doing tours when in those days we did what we called days of desperation. I'll never forget 
we had, early on, we had hardly any events and anybody that would take us, we'd be like, well, come, you know, and so we would go do these little tiny events and, 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 and the nature of it was Dan and I would work, you know, diligently to have, we had six prayer meetings a week and, uh, at that time, our, our ministry wasn't, we were like the youth ministry of the World Prayer Center. And so we weren't necessarily involved in the day-to-day of the youth ministry. And so what kind of what we had was, we, we had these events. And so we would pray for like four months, because we were just starting. So we'd like pray for four months for one event that would have 140 kids at it, you know. And for four months, you know, we were like praying and crying out and praying for this little tiny event. And I remember we got to the event. We drove two days to get there. And this girl, she was kind of a, you know, cool girl, blonde, you know, kind of thought that she was cool kind of thing. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to say it, but you know, kind of uber cool for people kind of person. And uh, she's like, we walk in and she starts weeping. I mean, just tears. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, can't help but cry she said I've been praying for these people for four months she goes to finally see it I care so much for these kids defies logic she's like a cool blonde 20 something in Colorado never going to see these kids again but what happened whatever you start to pray for you start to care about God gives you his heart and right now when you look at your city and you go I don't care about prayer meetings on campuses I don't I got to do some kind of outreach. And, and you, you want to care. Sometimes we care because of job security. You know? But if you'll get on your face, it is the secret. And if, if, if you get that in your heart, there'll never be a shortage of what can we do next? What can we do? How can we reach these kids in our city? The secret to success. I love great methodology. Man, I hope we learn from each other. I hope we have great methodology. But can I be honest? One of the sad things about having such access online to everybody else's sermons and everybody else's methodologies is that sometimes you don't have to, in angst and crying out to God, get the word of the Lord because you can just go to sermons.com. You can just go to a podcast. You don't have to necessarily figure out how God wants to move in your city because you just copy what some other church is doing. And then, oh, that didn't work. Let's try this. And hey, we'll just have kind of this happy go, you know, whatever happens, let's just try something else. And I'm telling you, I'm all fine with using every resource available, but not the substitution, the subtraction, crying out in anguish. God, God, have your way. And your life, your life, I mean, not theoretically. What What happens about us? Our lives. We can do this. We don't have to allow the stereotypes of American youth pastors to mark us. That doesn't have to be who we are. We can, we can say, God, how would you lead these people? Oh, well, let's look at the life of Jesus. What did Jesus do? What was in his heart? Jesus cries out. Look at Luke 19. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he, Jesus, wept over it. Jesus wept over the city. Wait a minute, I thought Jesus just wept for Lazarus. No. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem 
and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The day will come when, the day will come, sorry, the days will come when, uh, upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So he's speaking of his city, Jerusalem. Obviously, we know that Jerusalem ends up getting destroyed. And here's Jesus talking about how they received him. And he says, as he weeps over the city, he says, if, if you, even you, had only know on this day, what would bring you peace? He goes, if you had only known me. And in this, we find this idea, this concept, Jesus seems to believe That if they wanted to believe, they could find him and find peace. That it wasn't just for some, but for all. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And we have our opportunities to go, all right? I'm going to weep over students and I'm going to weep. I'm going to cry out that Christ would be formed in them like Paul prayed. But even like Jesus prayed when he looks at Jerusalem and he goes, you had your chance. You had this and this disappointment and this anguish and this sadness. They rejected me. I'm just saying what happens if inside of us, you look at your city, you look at the students in your city and there's real anguish. God. A friend of mine was flying into Mexico City with a missionary who'd worked his entire life in Mexico City. And the guy was in his 60s. As they flew in, he began to just weep, this missionary who'd spent his entire life there. My friend, a younger guy, looked at him and he said, what's wrong? And this older man looked back at him and he said, For over 30 years, I have prayed every day for this city. For 30 years, I've been crying out for Mexico City. It only makes sense that as we fly in and I see the rooftops, that I can't help but weep. Friends, I know. I know as I say this, the temptation is a thing that's so dramatic. And again, I'm not trying to say specifically Oh, you got to cry. It's got to be physical tears. I'm speaking of an internal anguish that I believe is absent. I'm talking about a desperation. This need that says, God, I've got to have your way. God, I've got, I want your kingdom to come in my city. I want what you want. And if you go, that's not in me. There is a place to get it. It's on your face before God. Cry out, have your way. The reason we are so content with the state of our ministries is because we don't pray. The reason we lack urgency is because we don't pray. The reason we tolerate wickedness in our youth ministries is because we don't pray. The reason we don't really care about Christ really being formed in our students is because we don't pray. But if we do, it changes, transforms, 
We're not okay with things just being, that's just how it is. Oh, boys will be boys. Kids will be kids. Oh, I love the prophetic unction of the person that says, no, it's not okay. It's not all right. And that person looks bizarre in our culture. But I can imagine Paul in a prison cell. People look at him and go, what's wrong with the old guy over there writing things down? He's weeping. Oh, maybe he's crying that he's going to die. No. He's weeping for somebody that he loves. It's not even here. He's weeping and crying out for the church in Philippi. He's weeping and he's crying out for the church in Galatia. He's weeping and he's crying out for the church in Corinth. Why? Because he prayed for them. God's heart was downloaded onto his heart and he cared for them. I'm talking pastorally where we cry out. I'm talking evangelistically where we cry out. And a thousand lesser things go away. Let me tell you, The thrills of ministry will not sustain you for 30 years. Like the extra shadow mission. You got your mission. Yeah, my mission is to follow Jesus. I wrote it on the wall. Then you got this shadow mission. And it looked cool. Have parents thank me and get to get a, you know, free vacation to Colorado in the summer and have people like a lot of things I say on Instagram. And yeah, have some kids think that I'm cool won't last will not sustain you for years might be fun for a while hey yeah I barely have to even pray and study these kids think it's good I just mimic something I learned online this morning you know it won't sustain you it will dry up and there'll be the moment where you go this doesn't move me I don't care the thing that will sustain you inside of me I care about these kids and I care about this church and I care about this city everybody looks at you like what's the deal and it is supernatural because it's not your own compassion it's God's compassion it's not your own gift of evangelism it's God's yearning that there would be none that perish inside of you it's burning in here and you can't explain it I don't know why shouldn't you care more about the things that the rest of us care about like what I don't know like cars and houses and vacations and and you just it's just not and people go come on chill out if Jesus were here chill out Jesus if Paul were here come on Paul that is I and I I just want you to read the text you make your own decision the cry in our culture is be a sweet nice good fun happy good guy person with a little bit of Jesus and I'm telling you we do not find that in our written accounts it's not there but we want it to be there so that we can have what the world has we can have everything and that we can be just like what Paul says here their God is their stomach Destruction is their future. They love this age. If we walk out of the prayer closet with tears, crying out to God, He won't fit in this age. You don't fit. And there's the perpetual chill out, calm down, the mockery. But I am telling you, just you go read the texts. That is what we find the churches to be. 
That is the expression. And I'm not saying not to be relevant and cool. Be relevant. Be cool. Be as cool as you can be. But don't go a day without Christ's heart burning inside of you. Don't go a day where being cool starts to overtake this. I long for you with tears. And that your actual lifestyle is formed by Christ-like ideas, Pauline ideas, instead of your ideas. We die to ourselves. We've got the privilege of getting on our face before God. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, for me, I just feel like I'm at the place where I believe this. I'm just at the place where I've seen enough older men that have lived this, that I believe this in a way I didn't believe it when I was 25. I love being around strange old people. I love it. I just... I just, I, I love being around whether they're in their 50s or in their 70s and they're, they're bizarre. And they've gone through seasons where they were not famous. They've gone through seasons where they were mocked. They've gone through seasons where everybody went, oh, whether it's a senior pastor that stayed faithful to that in me. To get on your face before God, I understand you can do whatever you need to do. But if it is at all possible, I want to invite you right now, stick your nose in the carpet, get on your face with me, and let's cry out to God that the Lord would transform us and change us and give us his heart for our students, for our city. I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to let you pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask, Lord, thousands of students would come into the kingdom because of the men and women in this room. Father, I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would heal kids who come from broken situations because there are pastors in this room that love them so well and love them in a way that's supernatural, that only you could do. Father, I ask that the heart of stone would become a heart of flesh. We ask, Lord Jesus, God, give us your heart. Download into us what's in you. We want your heart, God. Come in Jesus' name.